Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another live edition of the Direct Snap. <clears throat> At the moment, it's just me, your boy, Joe Klein. Uh, I think my man, David West, is a little caught up in something. I'm thinking and hoping he'll be joining us shortly. That being said, we will just have some fun here tonight ourselves for the time being. So tonight's our draft primer, guys. With the draft primer, that pretty much means we're going to spend the entire show uh, just talking about the 2016 NFL draft. And to start off, I just got a, a blurb from Bleacher Report. Um, I'm sure, honestly, many of you have heard of this guy. And honestly, unfortunately, for not many good football reasons. But former Baylor defensive end and meme, <laughs> meme extraordinaire and physical freak, whatever you want to say, Sean Oakman is currently under investigation for sexual assault. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that means in terms of, I don't know if it's a rape charge. I don't know if he, he, we're going to look into it right now for you guys. Right now, I'm going to look right into the report for you. All right, this is from Scott Polachek on Bleacher Reports, just to give you the proper Credit to the source. Um, the NFL draft hopeful is under investigation. That is all the information they currently have. Um, sexual assault obviously could mean a number of things in terms of uh, full-fledged rape charge, uh, improper touching, um, forceful touching. Not really sure exactly what those charges will bring. Um, so stay tuned for that. If we get any more information tonight, we will update you on Sean Oakman. Um, but let's, I'd like to keep it a little bit more positive here in terms of that. Um, but our, our eyes and ears will be on the situation. There's too much of this going on in the NFL right now. Um, it's going to be a large red flag for this young man heading into the draft. This is what uh, teams and, and everybody need to get away from. So so we will be another another black eye, unfortunately, um, for the NFL and the NFL draft process and its players. But moving on, there are there are a number of things to talk about tonight. I don't even know where to start, honestly. Dave should be joining us soon, which will help me get a get a good banter going, but. Uh, this draft is, in my experience here, and I'm not saying that I'm a complete professional here, but I've been working on the NFL draft a good six, seven years now. Um, obviously been on the show for three, been a football fan a lot longer than that. But in terms of being a real draft guide, you know, doing my own scouting and comparisons and, and looking deep into the draft, this has been one of the most complex draft classes that I've seen in, in my, like I said, about seven seven years working with the draft. And I've never seen value for for the top, you know, top 20, top 40 players range so much from seeing some of these guys 
in the top 10 and then two weeks later seeing some of these guys in the bottom 50, you know, you look at the quarterback class. I mean, we've talked about it plenty of times. you got guys like Carson Wentz and Jared Goff who in, you know, the Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin draft class are three, four, five in terms of the quarterbacks picked, you know. So they – but they're looking at, you know, potential top 10 picks between those guys or another draft. I mean – me, in my opinion, neither one of the nobody in this draft class is as good as Teddy Bridgewater coming out of college, and he was the 31st overall selection. So that right there just kind of shows you a little bit of the difference in value in this draft class. When you got guys like that at quarterback who are going to probably undoubtedly be top ten selections, where we've seen better prospects come out who have fallen almost into the second round. The the top end talent in this draft is minimal, in my opinion. Um, you look at each position, and each position has probably about one to three names that really stick out as, as, as potential stars or potential consistent producers in the league. And that's a little bit different than years past, you know, especially – especially, like I said, at the quarterback position, even particularly the running back position. I mean, you've got Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry, and then after that, there's a pretty sharp drop in terms of uh, projected talent. You know, you're talking about two guys who are fringe, you know, first-round grades, and then you know, the rest of the pack is easily second, third, fourth, and so on. And even the wide receiver class this year. Ah, there he is. Hold on, folks. Let's get him in here. I'm talking too much. There he is. What up, Dave? Joe Klein, I am here direct that family. I'm sorry about that. I was on a different call with my father, and then I actually had an NFL scout call me, believe it or not. So I'm here. See, folks, this, this, this right here, this is, this is the insider, Dave West, guys, getting off the phone with a scout on our draft primer night. So if you don't think we know our stuff, then you tell, you tell me why a scout is calling my boy up. So, Dave, I was just kind of – getting just a little light. I didn't really want to go into specifics knowing that you'd be on soon, but essentially just kind of, you know, explaining tonight we're going to talk all about the draft um, and was just talking about how this draft, I mean, I don't know, I can't say for you personally, but I've been in terms of working on the draft and studying the draft and everything, we'll get seven, seven years into really being deep into the process. You and I know a little bit longer, but this year's class is honestly fits the term of like the the enigma. This class is very interesting. You know, we I feel like we haven't seen value for some players fluctuate so much, so so varied from seeing some guys who have a player ranked top ten, some guys have them in the bottom fifty. You know what I mean? Um, and then the other thing I was just getting to essentially was them in what is my opinion some minimal top end talent in the NFL draft this year. Um, but I haven't really gotten to anything specific, haven't discussed any topics yet. Um, the only thing I did bring up was the fact that Sean Oakman is under investigation for sexual assault. Uh, there's not a lot of details to that right now, though, so we don't have a lot of information on that. Um, but if I had to get your opinion, Dave, how do you think this 2016, before we get into specifics, how do you think this draft class stands up to the last, you know, five, ten classes? Well, you know, something that I've been saying on this for probably the last point is that this draft class doesn't – it doesn't have a front runner. It doesn't have a name that people are like, oh, it's Andrew Luck. It's Jadavion Clowney. Not, you know, a clear-cut guy that would just say, hey, he's the dude, even though Jalen Ramsey kind of turned into that guy. 
it wasn't clear cut in back in the draft process that everyone has their eyes on Jadavion Clowney this year because he's the legit guy. No, it, this year it's just everyone's value is going in totally different directions. You know, at the beginning of this whole draft process, Joey Bosa was a guy. He was the defensive passer that everyone wanted. He was the guy that you know, supposedly was Jared Allen, supposedly the next J.J. Dodd. And we're looking at even at Kandichi at one point, was the top three pick, a top two pick even, just for his rare talent and ability to get um, so we've had four different frontrunners going into this draft class. And, you know, I could go on with names, but if you look at the guys are all within the end, they've all been mentioned as deep. I mean, I've even, well, Carson Wentz not going to go with number one overall people. Obviously, Marcus Merrick, but starting, so going even into November, Carson Wentz was a mid-second pick, and now there's possibility he could go to second overall to the Cleveland Browns. It's just madness. There's no clear-cut number one guy that could come off that board. Tennessee, well, obviously they'll hold the, the first pick. They could go anywhere they want, trade it. You know, obviously they can get, you know, the pass rusher they want. They can get uh, the corner they want or the defensive back they want. They can do anything, but just to the point that I've heard one week that they love Jalen Ramsey and he's a clear cut number one. You know, just two days ago, I heard the Titans talk, talking about moving, collecting a huge amount of next five years. I mean, that's the beauty of the NFL draft. You know, if you don't like drama with the NFL draft and you just like players coming off the board just because it's right for a team, I'm sorry. That's just not what I love the NFL draft for, the drama, the unpredictability. You're sitting there when your team's on the clock, and then you throw your remote through the TV screen because you're just like, this is horrible. Or you're just like, wow, we got a guy that could be the next freaking Champ Bailey. I mean, and that's the beauty of the draft. That's what this year is all about. And I think this year particularly, um, obviously each year that as a scout and a town innovator, and I'm going to to everyone out there, that if you want to be a talent evaluator or a scout or, you know, obviously you can't get in, you know, a front office instantly. I've been after that goal for three and a half, four years, um, Joe. Joe knows that. Tyler knows that. Um, my buddy Raul knows that, who's my other half. Um, draft experts page, which I haven't done much with this year. I'm sorry. I'm so busy with my work. Uh, but just point it out there, anyone can be a talent. If you think Jalen Ramsey has cracked feet, that's your opinion. If you think Carson Wentz has the best arm since, you know, Neil Lomax, go for it. I mean, that's your opinion. That's the beauty of scouting. Now, if you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, wrong. Everyone makes mistakes. I mean, obviously, jobs are on the line. As scouts, you know, if they get it wrong and they miss on a pick, now if they miss, you draft someone really and he doesn't turn out like, you know, or Jamarcus Russell, your head's on the chopping block. But that's yeah, – anyone can do it. I mean, I'm not saying there's not a learning curve because you have to teach yourself this kind of stuff. Certain prospects have different abilities. 
And yes, I'm going long-winded with this answer, Joe, but I think it's important that people realize that anyone this, if you have the right mindset, learn from someone that, you know, has put some time into it. Joe's a good example. Tyler's a good example. You know, if you want to ask me, uh, DRW Scout, on, you know, Twitter, I answer questions a lot. You can probably find me on Facebook if you look hard enough. I'm not going to put that out there. But if you want to ask us in the direct message box um, or from either the Twitter handle or um, this, and I will connect with you, and I'll talk NFL draft with you. Uh, just don't expect me to land you a job in the NFL. I'm after that myself. So, uh, Joe, that's what I think about this draft class. It's not – there's no front runner, and it's not completely star-studded. But there is a lot of good depth in this draft class, which I'm thinking people will look back and say there's more acorns in this draft than usual, guys that are going to make an impact, particularly from smaller schools. I agree. I feel like this, while this class lacks the top-end guys, you're going to have more mid-round picks who come out to have solid careers. Um, and, I, and that's where I agree with you. There's a good chance for some small school guys and a lot of other guys this is a good draft for those guys because the way that the value falls, they're looking at your talent. They're not necessarily looking completely at you, what you did in college, because like you said, there's no guy whose whose college career really just kind of shook everybody in terms of, of being like, that's the guy we got to have that guy, or that's the guy at this class. And even with guys like Jadavian Clowney, we've seen that almost nobody. And if they do, they're insane will argue that Khalil Mack is undoubtedly the better player. He's been a better NFL performer. He's been healthier, and he's an absolute let's just put it this way. Khalil Mack came onto the scene and did something that nobody's done in the history of NFL, and that's he voted as an all-pro at two different positions. So that's like like Dave said, you know, some years it's as simple. Some years it's not where you take Jamarcus Russell. I mean, this is going to be one of those years where it's not easy to know. It's just not. And like Dave said, there have been like six different guys all the way down to the guy now between Jalen Ramsey and Laramie Tunsil as the two, you know, top the top guys. And that didn't, like Dave said, that didn't really happen until after the combine. So it's an interesting class this year. But let's get a little bit more specific. I, I want to see in your opinion here. I mean, we have obviously this is a defense strong draft, especially versus offense. So what would you say is the deepest position in this year's draft? Defensive position. Explain what you mean by that. No, I'm it sorry. can be deepest. Deepest position. Oh, deepest position. I thought you said defense position. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, deepest position, you know, that, that's that been a debated question throughout, you know, a lot of guys I've discussed this with on Twitter and Facebook, and, you know, even Raul has talked about saying, well, what's the deepest? Where can we get it? And, you know, this class doesn't have a star at that position, but the difference makers that are at this position from big school, from Louisville all the way down to SC State, to even a guy that I came around the other day that freaking, if you don't know his name by now, um, and I'm going to, give you a little insider track. Uh, hold on. Well, I'm just going to say the position. It's defensive tackle. Is the def- I think the deepest um, at this, I think he's, um, these guys 
this year are very technically sound. We've got a lot of great pass rushers, penetrators, one-gap defenders, and we've got a lot of guys that are purely run stuffers. This, I mean, there isn't a clear-cut guy like, you know, Aaron Donald that, you know, completely blows everyone off the charts. But then you have guys like Justin Zimmer from Ferris State who, Joe, listen to this, put up 44 on the bench press on his, at his pro day, 44 times. That's insane. Justin Zimmer That's from Ferris State, he, he's 6'2", 302. He ran a 491. Uh, he had a 33-inch vertical, and you know he a 7-1 on the the cone test. I mean, Ferris State. I mean, I'm talking about a guy who put up 44 from a, a, a Ferris State does have a few NFL alumni, but that's beside the point. I'm just telling you, there's freaks out there, and this year particularly, you have guys that are going within the first round to guys like Javon Hardy from SC State who was a sack machine, to guys like, you know, Zimmer, to guys that, you know, just continue to exceed expectations. I think the deepest class this year is defensive tackle. And a lot of people, I think, are sleeping on that because, you know, there's a lot of good quarterbacks going later, like Kevin Hogan. I think he's going to be a difference maker at the next level. It's going to take him some time. Um, Some people are saying running back. I definitely agree with that. But I think the difference makers, guys that are going to be squeaking on the rosters, like Justin Zimmer, who potentially could be a practice squad to number four player right away, that these guys could be difference makers up the line. And guys that, you know, rotationally in their first year could be, you know, very good players. I agree. I definitely agree. I think, you know, I'd say defensive line in general, there are some good edge rushers, especially if you want to go edge and not necessarily just defensive end or just outside linebacker. Um, there are some good edge players in this draft. Just to go in a different direction, um, like Joey Bosa, Shaq Lawson, Noah Spence, Jonathan Bullard, Kevin Dodd, Emmanuel Ogba, Shalid Calhoun, um, for a guy like Carl Masson who had some – some first-round hype on him before he had a bit of a poor season and fell down in the depth chart. And then you go out to some of the edge players, you get guys like Leonard Floyd and, and, and Deion Jones and Jordan Jenkins and Kamala Correa. There's a lot of just the defensive line is stacked this year in this class. And that's either a good thing or a bad thing. You know, it's one of those things in terms of, it could be that the class is so valued that they're going to dominate the first two two rounds, or it's going to be that it's so deep that teams take some of the best offensive players that are available earlier, knowing they can address defensive positions like defensive tackle, like an edge player later in the draft, because there are more of them. So I, I have to completely agree with you though. I think tackle is the deepest position but the defensive line as a whole this year is just is really impressive in terms of depth. There's a lot of guys who can come in and be uh, contributors. Um, some of the early day guys that I really like are guys like Ashawn Robinson, Andrew Billing. I'm a little more skeptical. Skeptical. I'm sorry, of Sheldon Rankins personally. Um, I think Jerron Reed's a bit of a scheme fit kind of guy. And honestly, that's a big thing with a lot of the players in this draft is, is it's a scheme fit. Um, but another position that I wanted to break down is 
is with as deep as this draft is, Dave, and we've seen this to be the case a lot of the few years, is when you look at one of not just one, but in my opinion, one very particular position where you see a steep drop from the first top, like, two, even three prospects at most is inside linebacker, like pure inside linebacker. Um, Obviously, the top prospect, Reggie Ragland out of Bama, you know, another Bama middle linebacker, they're usually going to be pretty good pros. Um, and, but then after that, there's there's a, a noticeable drop, even into Control Brothers from Mizzou, Dominique Alexander out of Oklahoma, Tyler, oh my God, I always, I always butcher his name, Matadikovic uh, out of Temple, and Stu Bright out of Arizona, and so on and so forth. But if you had to give me, if you can, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, uh, my man. If you had to give me an inside sleeper at the inside linebacker position, there's a steep drop. Which one of these guys in these, these, these late-round sleepers do you think could go on to have a pretty successful career? Well, to find sleeper, are we going purely small school here, or are we just going on, you know, what we feel? Because I have a young man that uh, I've been working close with that got an invite to the College Grand Showcase, which uh, I think I talked about quite a bit when I was on the show um, back in January because I was part of that thing. But a guy that I think is a sleeper that um, – now, I don't know if this information is, you know, 100% true, um, but he was telling me that this team had him higher rated than Ken Trail Brothers from Missouri. That's saying a lot because a lot of people have Kentrell as the second best inside linebacker. But the guy I would put as a sleeper, and some people still don't know his name, but if you if you follow my Twitter, that I am strong about Larry Butler the third from Southern Nazarene, um, six foot, two hundred and fifty-two pounds, tackling machine. Uh, he ran a four-seven as pro day. He tweaked his hamstring while running, so, you know, it could have been a freaking 4-5 for all I know. Larry Butler gets the work done. He's a quiet guy. He averaged about 16 to 12 tackles a game. He's always around the ball. His instincts are pretty good for just, you know, a you know, small school linebacker. That's what, you know, a lot of teams like about him. Plus, he, he gets the work done, and he stays quiet about it. I mean, he's not going to go out there and run his mouth and, oh, well, I did this today. No, the, the kid's hungry. And that's what I like about him. He could go anywhere from round five to seven, um, separate free agent. I think Larry Butler the third is a guy that I think a lot of teams are looking at as possibly, you know, an undrafted free agent. But I think he's a sleeper that, if given the opportunity, I think he's a guy that really could open some eyes at inside linebacker. And I totally agree with you. This class is very weak. We haven't seen this week of a class in inside linebacker in a while. Uh, you know, Maintenavich from, you know, Temple is one of my favorites this year. I think instinctively he's a lot of scouts are saying Zach Thomas, which is huge praise, Joe. I mean, you're talking about a guy that was an all-pro. But then again, you know, it doesn't matter where you're drafted at. It matters how you perform on the field. You could be a seventh-round pick and be, you know, balling out. You can be Antonio Gates for 10 seasons, 12 seasons. So that's my sleeper at inside linebacker, Larry Butler the third. A guy I know personally very well, and I think just give him the opportunity with the next one, but he will fall out. 
Very nice. <clears throat> That's what we got to take here, guys. We give you those sleepers, and they give you what I like to call the West Super Sleepers. But it, it's one of those positions that you're going to have to dig to find some gold at that position. So I like I like the names there. I like the names. Now let's talk about a player that that has gone relatively quiet. We talked about a lot of names. This guy, that guy, this top guy, that top guy. One of the top prospects coming in his draft at the very beginning was Notre Dame linebacker Jalen Smith. Now, Jalen Smith had a nasty knee injury um, and has gone from may not play in 2016, may not play at all, may da 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 da, da may be ready halfway through the season, <clears throat> should be fine. There's a lot of this, that, and the other. So I want you to break it down for me, Dave, right now, and I want you to think in terms of being a scout, of being a GM, of being the guy who's got to make the pick. And tell me, what do you do with a guy like Jalen Smith? Well, um, if I am a team that's done a great job in free agency and I've hit a lot of my good needs, that I would not feel guilty at all taking him earlier than, you know, projected. Now, it's hard to say because I haven't heard a lot from scouts or people that talk to me where his value lies because that's been kind of a secret to me. But if I'm a team like the Oakland Raiders in the second round, who's had a phenomenal offseason, they just signed Reggie Nelson a few days ago, or I think it was today, actually, that I'd be looking my lips sitting there, a guy that honestly could have been uh, the top, even above Miles Jack, you know, why not take him? I mean, he fits a need, and he also has some talent. I mean, yeah, you, you take that chance. But, you know, sometimes you have to take chances as a general manager, that you trust your coaching staff enough that they're going to develop it, trust your medical team enough that he's going to get 100%. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if a team in the first round that, you know, a team like the New England Patriots, well, they don't have a first-round pick, but uh, a team that's established, a team that doesn't have a lot of needs can gamble on that and take that. They might take him in the first round. More than likely, I feel like it's going to be a team at the top of the second, a team like the Miami Dolphins, a team like the Oakland Raiders, a team that, you know, that has a chance because they've already established on the offseason to make linebacker position as a position of need, but also at the point that a team that has done a good job in free agency now, he might get desperate, and then they use him the wrong way. But I think overall, I think it's going to be one of these teams that is no longer rebuilding, but they can be selective on guys that they can have projects with. Like I said, like Oakland, Jacksonville, um, the Panthers even. That would be a luxury pick for the Panthers. I mean, obviously, yeah, they went linebacker with Shaq last year, but – you know, you can never have enough good linebackers, particularly with A.J. Klein probably going free agency next year. So why not? Best player available, that definitely comes into play with Jalen Smith from Notre Dame. I like, I like what you said about a team like the Patriots. Now, with his injury, we know there's a chance that he could slide into the second round. Now, the Patriots, if I'm not mistaken, own pick 60 and 61, which would be towards the tail end of the second round. Do you think Jalen could fall that far? And if so, do you think the Patriots just snatch him up and just go, there's our starting linebacker for the next 10 years as soon as he's out? 
if he's there in the second round, absolutely. I think that, you know, they'd be foolish. Um, Belichick and company would be foolish just to even look the other way. Um, I think that they all do a good job of finding those guys that slip through the cracks. But honestly, Belichick does scouting a little bit differently. You know, he reaches for guys that he knows sometimes that through most people's eyes are average. But also, he makes the best out of his players. I think that if Jalen Smith is possibly still there in the second round, I think that the Patriots will feel comfortable bringing him in, particularly that, you know, they lost a few pieces in their linebacking court. I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, even if you go back-to-back picks with linebacker, I think you still do a good job addressing the future, and you do a good job understanding that guys like Jalen Smith uh, medicine the way it is now, it's not the same because, you know, the injury Jalen Smith had, he wasn't supposed to come back for a while. But with modern medicine, NFL franchises having some of the best doctors in the world, I think that he can come back and be an effective player, and even if it's to a point where he's, you know, just good. I mean, that's better than being a bust. So, yeah, Joe, pull the trigger on the guy if you're in New England in the second round. I think it would be huge and beneficial. <clears throat> I agree. If he does make it there, maybe it's foolish not to take him and stash him. Like you said, a team that doesn't need him but could absolutely put him to use in the future. So it'll be super interesting to see the fate of Jalen Smith as we start to head towards the draft. Now, linebacker is an interesting class this year in general. There's a lot of good athletes there with Jalen Smith, with Miles Jack, with Reggie Ragland. There are a lot of <clears throat> impressive players. But let's talk about outside linebacker here. Let's talk about edge players. And, uh, Obviously, um, two of the bigger names are Leonard Floyd and Jordan Jenkins, both Georgia teammates. Um, Floyd, in my opinion, is pretty small, especially to be an edge player. Um, But give me your opinion. Break down Jordan Jenkins, Leonard Floyd. Who do you feel is the better prospect, and who do you feel is the best edge rusher in the 2016 class? Best edge rusher? Oof. Oh, boy. That's interesting. Well, let's talk about the two Georgia studs for a second before I jump into, you know, the best pass rusher. Uh, Leonard Floyd, Jordan Jenkins, I think they're both solid prospects. Um, I even – the first mock draft we did here, uh, I think it's three weeks ago now, Joe, we did that. Um, I had the, the Oakland Raiders taking Leonard Floyd. And, you know – I said that he could turn into a Khalil Mack type. I didn't compare him to, but I said he has the ability to be the Khalil Mack type. Uh, Jordan Jenkins, I think he's more of a linebacker type. Uh, I think he's a guy that could be, you know, plugged in right away to be a solid player. Who has the more upside? I think Floyd does. Who can be the more effective NFL player right away? It's definitely Jordan Jenkins. That's my opinion on that. Uh, I want to spin this back to you, Joe, before I jump into edge rushers. Do you think a guy like Jordan Jenkins, who, you know, has had a decent offseason, do you think that there's kind of a shadow around him that, you know, at first he was the top outside linebacker. Do you think that 
he has more of an ability to be the guy, I guess, or be the guy effectively, effectively right away, like I'm saying. You, I, I I'm a little bit more skeptical. I, I'm a little bit more skeptical that he can come in and be the guy. I think that if he comes in next to an established line and established pass rush uh, as a complement player to start his career, um, similar to like a Bruce Irvin in Seattle, but in a, in a sense where he could thrive, I think you could see him burst out of potential quicker that way. I think if you put him into a system right now and you say, okay, I need you to be my guy, I need you to be my premier pass rusher, it's not going to work. It's not a situation where he can right now, in my opinion, pull the leverage and command, you know, I don't think he's polished. I don't think he's ready enough to be that guy. I think we've seen some guys that are that are similar um, in his former teammate, Jarvis Jones, even, out of Georgia. came in for Pittsburgh, posted up one sack. You know, and they drafted a decent amount of talent along that line. And there were some guys there, but when he put, when he was put in the position to have to be the guy, he couldn't do it. He couldn't generate the pressure. He wasn't there wasn't the ability to to work because he didn't have enough guys around him. And when you're a rookie thrust into that situation, it's hard for anybody to be successful. Look at Jadavian Clowney. He was uh, injured most of the year, and then when he got on the field, and when he's been on the field. Even when he's not asked to be the guy, he's struggled. And then you look, but then you look at a guy like Khalil Mack, small school player, you know, number two overall. Obviously, everybody knew what they were getting with a guy like Khalil Mack, but he's dominated. He's absolutely dominated. I look at at Jordan Jenkins though as a little bit more of the previous, more like not even necessarily a Jadavian Clowney. But guys like of uh, uh, Vic Beasley, you know, who or who could come in and maybe post up like a, a three, four sack rookie season, but there are going to be some growing pains, in my opinion. Oh, I totally agree with you. I think you made some really good points there. Um, I'm going to jump into defensive ends because it's a juicy class. I think there's a lot, and I mean a lot, of undiscovered talent in the late rounds and undrafted free agents. Um, you know, I've mentioned a lot of these guys in the last few weeks. But you were asking me who my favorite or who the best is. Who you think the best pure pass rusher? Pure pass rusher. And and when you hear that as a scout and a talent evaluator, pure pass rush doesn't mean he's the best pass rusher. Pure pass rush means he's simply going to be a sack machine, and that's what's expected of him. Uh, look at him kind of like a Cameron Wake or a guy that, you know, simply is known for the art of pass rushing, Bruce Irvin. I mean, those are guys that are pure pass rushers. So with that being said, I think the guy that might be the best pure pass rusher in this draft class, and he is quietly making a name for himself, but I think that he's going to be the guy that, you know, people are like, wow, you know, he turned some heads, and he's a little bit raw on the edges, is Jonathan Bullard from Florida. He's six foot three, two eighty five. I think uh, they're going to slim him down a little bit, but I think overall he's going to be an effective pro. Why I say this, and you know I might be talking out of the side of my mouth, is quick first step. And you know you can go with Noah Spence. Noah Spence, he has to be on the right team to be effective. Joey Bosa. Uh, Joey, we've talked about Joey Bosa blue on this show, so I'm not going to beat that over there. But 
or DeForest Buckner. The thing that scares me about him is Oregon. And Dolphins fans know why I'm fearful of that. We don't want another Deion Jordan on our hands who's just okay. Uh, you know, Kevin Dodd, yes, he looked good at the end of the year, but where was all year? Kevin Dodd all year, the best pass by, even above Joey Bosa. Jack Lawson, he kind of dropped off. He did the same thing. I just I don't know what happened to him. Jonathan Bullard has done nothing but helped himself. He gets better by the week, and I think with some good NFL coaching, he slims down maybe to 275, 63, 275. He's going to be a guy coming off the edge that's going to be really quick, and he's got aggressive hands. I think this guy went from being a sixth-round grade to a third-round grade within, you know, two months, and I think that shows me that he is ready for that NFL speed. But, you know, I do have my favorites in the class, but the best pure pass rusher, I think, is Jonathan Buller from Florida. That's what I like. A name that we haven't talked about a lot, but a guy that you're right. He has a lot of just natural pass rushing ability. Another guy, and we've talked about him blue on this show, that I'm also not going to beat a dead horse with too much. But a guy that I feel is close is, is Noah Spence out of out of Eastern Kentucky. He's the guy who I feel like is similar in that Bruce Irvin style. He's, he's probably just going to literally be brought in to do one thing and one thing alone, and that's to pretty much just try to sack the quarterback on every play. Um, I think, though, that, that Bullard, you're right, he's, he's got an up-and-down stock, you know, between off-the-field issues and, and not as impressive of a final year at Florida as we expected, but that whole team struggled this year. Um, but I like to pick a Bullard as a, as a pure pass rusher. Like you said, you know, Bosa we see as a consistent player, but not a sack machine, both Clemson guys, really the last three, three Clemson defensive and have been, you know, great athletes, but they need work. Um, and that's kind of a lot of the guys in this class, but I agree. I think Bullard can be a guy who can come in and be an eight sack player pretty quickly. Um, in terms of just purely being a pass rusher. Now, let's move a little bit to the offensive side of the ball here. Um, We're going to talk about wide receivers. I don't know if he's listening to the show. If he is and he's not calling in, Tyler, you are in deep crap. Um, Apparently he's not. All right, all right. Um, But talk about the wide receiver class here a little bit. We've got this, this, obviously, it's become a, a hot debate ever since we had two back-to-back decent classes, one that massively disappointed last year, and one that blew away expectations the year before that. Um, so we come into this class, and athleticism has already been a little hard to come by, for the most part, in this draft in terms of pure athleticism. But we obviously look at the guy in Laquan Treadwell, who's been looked at as the consensus top guy, but had some less than stellar numbers on his pro day. Now, I want to I want to get your opinion. How do you feel about the slower 40? How do you feel about the, I guess, lack of, of looming athleticism from Laquan Treadwell? Does it make you nervous at all? I could care less about testing numbers. Um, it's proven time and time again that I think numbers really, really kind of overlook things. Uh, let's use four examples, and I don't mean to drag on this little conversation, but I'm trying to make a clear point here. 
there's a whole bunch of, I know, amateur scouts that are listening to this show. I know there's a lot of people that admire what I do, what Joe does, what Tyler does. Tyler, we miss you. Um, Put it this way. The greatest wide receiver ever, or almost one of the greatest players to ever play this game, Jerry Rice, had a horrible pro day. Now, there's certain guys that have proved that wrong, Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders. But, you know, those guys, you just know. Jerry Rice proved them wrong. Jerry Rice got, you know, drafted. The rest is history. A guy like Jarvis Landry, he even put it up on Twitter the other day. He ran a horrible time at the Combine. He had a lackluster pro day, and he was just talking about, you know, guys, this is what it's not about. You know, they have to look at the tape. Jarvis Landry put that out there. I'll give you another example, a guy that, you know, we might talk about later on down because it is a topic to talk about, is J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt is a freak. We haven't seen an impact like him in the pass searching game since Bruce Smith. Yes, that's a pretty big name, but it's true. And J.J. Watt didn't blow away anyone with his numbers. He kind of helped himself with his numbers. But it gets to the point with a draft class that I'd rather look at your tape. Tape spells a lot of things. That's one of the reasons why the Ravens do so well. Izzy preaches tape. He he likes the pro day numbers kind of as a foundation. He also likes to play the game. You know, Joe, let me ask you this. Other than numbers at a pro day, as a general manager, why do you think a pro day is important? For me, if I had to answer honestly, for me, a pro day just serves for me to, for two things, in my opinion. One, be a player in his natural environment. See what he's like when he's comfortable. Because you're really going to see who that person is beyond football in a natural setting. So you get a little bit better idea for who this guy is out of the game when he's in a place that he's comfortable in. Um, two, at the pro day, honestly, I, I just want to, like you said, the numbers aren't impressive to me. It's fluidity and being able to talk to him and get a feel for a guy in terms of having a chance to get a quick interview or some face time. But the biggest thing for me is just seeing, seeing this guy, what he's like in his most comfortable atmosphere. Because my goal is that he'll be comfortable where I draft him, but if he's a goon, if he doesn't take it seriously, if he doesn't push himself to his limits, and you know what I mean? Those are the things that at least I'm looking at. Hmm. Interesting. What if I told you that, particularly with first, second, third-round picks, that obviously scouts flock out, flock out to, what if I told you that a general manager were to send a guy just simply to see who else is there? What I if, believe it. Joe, what if I told you that a general manager sent a scout and said, the scout's like, we're not drafting this guy. I want you to see who else is at that pro day. Who else? The Eagle Scout. Who else? Is Dallas out there? Who's who's Dallas looking at? Obviously, you know Dallas's needs. No one's stupid at this point in the year. Dallas has been talking to Elliot. Dallas has been talking to Bosa. But would it be kind of weird if they didn't show up to their pro day? Yeah, I mean, obviously. It's a game. It's part strategy, too. 
you send a guy simply to the pro day to figure out well, who's my competition looking at? Who can I steal right in front of someone? You don't even have to. Like I said, that's an inner motive that a lot of people overlook. At this point of the year, that it's a big game. Yeah, you know, you're moving guys up your board. It's like, yeah, you showed athleticism today. I think you should move them up from being the third best defensive end to the second. Okay. But, you know, inner motive, if all year you've been hearing that San Francisco needs a wide receiver and once Laquan Treadwell, they don't show up to his pro day, it makes you wonder, do they really have a lock on him? Or is someone else in front of them already taking it? I'm just putting that out there, folks. There's a lot more into a pro day than just interviews and workouts and people standing around, you know, saying, yeah, this guy's legit. I'm sure everyone – well, and I'm not putting out – no one's a sworn enemy. A lot of these guys are pretty cool. Interacting with the CGS last year or this season, working with any scout and talking to him, a lot of these guys are cool with each other. I mean, obviously they're professional and they take notes and feel, but it, it's kind of a fraternity to the point, you know, I'm going to Kentucky Pro Day. I see my friend just flying. It's been a while and we catch the breeze and then we do our work and we go. So, you know, Joe's general manager is going to say, hey, you know, how's the pro And you're going to say, well, you know, 12 teams showed up and he's going to ask who showed up. It's an inner motive a lot of people look over. You want to figure out who's there at those pro days. Joe, I'm throwing that up. No, that's a really good point, honestly. It's very true. It's not even – it is – it's very true because what's one of the things – when you read an article about a pro day, what's one of the things that you see? This team was there. This team was there. This team was there. This player met with this team, this team, and this team. Why would they report it if it wasn't important? Because not only do we take note of that, but so do the teams. Like you said, you know, when they know that, you know, these three teams that are ahead of them have spent extensive time with a guy because they sent a guy there to see that, they kind of go, okay, well, we hope that he's going to be there for us, but it looks like he may not be. So we need to send some guys to go check out some other players in that value range. And, you know, it, it makes a ton of sense. It really does. Um, but to, to to bring back the topic at hand, we both agree the numbers don't really don't really bother us with Laquan Treadwell uh, and, and in general. Uh, polished products should be a good guy, but another guy who really helped himself in in the off season here and has kind of put himself in in the discussion to be a first round wide receiver is a guy that we've talked about a little bit before on the show, Dave. Um, the guy that you got a reflection from an NFL scout from for your comparison to Sidney Rice, I want to give you Tyler's newest comparison for wide receiver Josh Dotson, and I want to kind of get your opinion on it. Okay. Um, Dotson, obviously, for those of you who don't know, wide receiver out of TCU, um, was the number one wide receiver there. He good talent, um, but, you know, there are some concerns in some certain areas. Um, has had a had an injury, wrist injury, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this past season. But it's come on strong in the postseason and draft process. Now, Dave likened him to Sidney Rice, who the scout also agreed, you know, likes the comparison. Tyler, and, and when you think about just 
the fact uh, of technically what he's done being impressive, but not overly impressive. I can I can see where he's going at a little bit, but he went with Keenan Allen, current San Diego Chargers wide receiver. How do you feel about that one? Okay, I see where Tyler's going, and I, you know, I respect that. Uh, I listen to all sides before making a judgmental call, and I am not going to thrash anyone's comparison unless it's saying that Andrew Luck's Ryan Lee. Obviously, that's not true, but. To me, at this point, I thought Keenan Allen was way more. And, I mean, it's if you're putting on a 10 scale that Josh is a 4 and Keenan was a 7, Keenan Allen was a far better route runner. And that's what attracted me to Keenan Allen coming out of school. Not that he was super athletic. Not that he taught everything. That he was a very polished route runner. And Josh Doxson, that's something that – Still working on very hard in this game to come be a complete route runner, and that's the one element in his game that he's missing is being a complete route runner. I see where Tyler's going, and I like it, but I think Keenan Allen, at his point coming out of college, was a far better route runner than Josh Jackson is at this point in his career. Very nice, very nice. I have to. I don't know. I, I like your comparison, and just just because I feel like not only that, but in the class that Keenan Allen came out of, he was one of the top receivers in that class. Um, kind of similar to the way Doxon is in this, but Keenan even showed that that year, winning Rookie of the Year and everything, and being the only receiver in that class to top a thousand yards that year. And he was he was a little bit above, and I, you know, like you said, a lot of that can be credited to the fact that he was a polished route runner. Which, if you ask, and if you do ask a lot of scouts the biggest and most frustrating thing with receivers coming in is that they don't run good routes. They don't, and because of that, you don't get good separation. Because of that, you always have to fight for the ball. Because of that, you need more drops. So being a good route runner is huge. Being a good route runner is what led to a Hall of Fame career for some less athletic guys like Larry Fitzgerald. You know, Fitzgerald ran a slow 40. Fitzgerald wasn't wowing anybody with his athleticism, but Larry Fitzgerald could run some of the best freaking routes you've ever seen, and because of it, was able to catch pretty much anything that ever came his way because he had that two, three-yard separation every single time. Um, But when you look at the lack of athleticism, you have to look to the most, what appears to be the most, or one of the most, athletic receivers in this class in Notre Dame's wide receiver, Will Fuller. Um, I like Fuller, but I, I think he has some work to do. Um, I think he's, he's a, a, a semi, a semi polished product. Uh, again, route running being something that he does pretty decently, but he, again, could, 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 could use some work. Um, but just polishing the hands, polishing a little bit of everything, Notre Dame, you know, they, they put out some decent receivers and decent prospects, but, I feel like a lot of time with the Irish, you get a 50-50 shot whether or not this guy is going to go on to be good or go on to be a bum. Um, and when you look at Fuller, I like what he did. I like what he did even dealing with the the quarterback injuries and everything like that. But how do you feel, man? Do you think this guy is a legit potential first-round, early second-round product, 
or do you think he's a flash in the pan guy that you think is likely going to end up designated to third, fourth receiver role for his entire career? Every year there's a guy that is a flash in the pan. Every year. And you can look back at the last 15 draft classes. I mean, if you want to say, no, you're wrong, go for it. I I want you to go prove me wrong on that aspect. Every year there's that guy. And unfortunately this year that he is that guy. Now he could prove me wrong and you can call in, you know, next year at this point and say, Will Fuller's a superstar. Go for it. I I mean, I can, a scout, and I said it earlier on the show, if you missed this part, go watch the archives or listen to the archives and, you know, check it out. Uh, that I said, if I'm wrong and everyone sees talent differently, so be it. Will Fuller's a flash in the pan. I just don't see it out of there. Um, yes, he played very well with not having a quote-unquote elite quarterback in college football. I just think that uh, he can blow off the top in the defense. Yes. He could be this year's, you know, Philly Brown, John Brown. He could be also turned into Clyde Gates, which is a sore spot for Dolphins fans. You never know with speed receivers. He could be Jacoby Ford. I mean, Jacoby Ford was a stud at Clemson. And Cordero Patterson, even. Exactly. You never know, Joe. I mean, speed is a thing that I really, really worry about when people just like, oh, well, other than small school prospects, if you don't run under a 4-5 for a small school prospect at, you know, wide receiver running back, that you're probably not going to get a call from the league. That's a sad truth. It shouldn't be like that, but it is. It's just such a un, you know, mystery. I mean, heck, that – we go back this time next year, Will Fuller is, you know, Tyler Lockett. So be it. I just don't see it, Joe. I think his catch radius is small. I think that he's just going to get gobbled up by defenders in the NFL. I think that it's just going to be another story of a wide receiver that got a lot of flash early on and just is going to have an average career. He's going to be a Josh Boyce type guy that had a lot of flash but just didn't pan out. That's Will Fuller in a nutshell for me, Josh Boyce. I have to agree, honestly. I'm not oh, sorry, not so huge on Will Fuller either. I think he he got a little too much combine hype, and I don't put a lot of stock in combine numbers ever. Um, but one more receiver here that I want to talk about, just because the combine was where he was supposed to dominate, and for a lot of people, they had him at, right before the combine launching up to their number one status. Um, But he's kind of fallen back into that two, three, even four behind uh, Quan, Corey Coleman, Doxon, is Michael Thomas out of Ohio State. Um, Ohio State wide receivers, and Ohio State offensive players, honestly, in general, maybe minus the running back position, have had a very spotty record in the NFL recently. Um, Antonio Holmes is probably the best OSU receiver in the last 10 years. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but even then, not, I mean, sure, had an awesome catch in the Super Bowl. Never really had a good good season after that. Um, and Pitt does a phenomenal job of making receivers look good and then watching them not look so great elsewhere. Uh, <clears throat> Mike Wallace, sorry, Dolphins fans. And uh, don't get me wrong, 
Peyton did good with Emmanuel Sanders, but we'll see with a new person in town how well he does in Denver as well. Um, but how do you feel about Michael Thomas? I think, you know, he, he's got the body. He's got the, you know, in terms of his measurables and how he did at the combine. They weren't bad. So uh, how do you feel about him? I mean, me and Tyler both, we were skeptical about how high he was in the pre-draft, pre-combine process. We both liked him, but we weren't in love with it. So wh- what's your take on Michael Thomas? Michael Thomas is a tough guy to figure out, and <laughs> I've really looked at his tape over and over. And actually, some guy had posted a, a Facebook picture of people looking at him. Teams are very much intrigued by Thomas, and that worries me. At the same time, I think that it's legitimate that this guy's going to be, and I don't mean bad by this, that he's going to be a, a project starting off. A number three and a number four, he's going to win. He's going to get in, and the thing on this guy is huge. I'm not meaning that it it could be you know off type, but this guy could be an, an instant starter for you know the next five years if his upside kicks in like it's supposed to. But here's the drawback: another guy that is flash in the pan. Uh, there's two ultimates on wide receivers. You have those speedy small guys that have a lot of flash, and then you have the really tall guys that jump up and get balls and make it look easy in college football. But then they get to the pros, and you turn into, you know, a Stefan Hill, a Roberto Wallace. Roberto, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, I'm actually still connected with him on Facebook. Um, you know, guys are Patrick Turner, another guy. I'm just saying, each year you have a big guy that gets a lot of flash, and he busts, and same with the small dudes. But then again, you have guys that go under the radar. Good. I talked about this with Joe, and I'm still sticking by it, that I like Michael Thomas a lot like Devin Thomas that came from Michigan State back in way back in the 2008 NFL draft, which that would be eight years ago. Wow, that seems so long ago. That was my first draft class that I fully – evaluated. Jeff Thomas was so productive at Michigan State. Huge catch radius, great numbers. Everyone thought Jeff Thomas was going to be the next big wide receiver. He didn't make it in the league five years. And I just worry about Ohio State upside. Um, defense is a different story. I think Ohio State defensive players are I don't know what Ezekiel Elliott's going to do. I don't know if Michael Thomas is the answer. Ricardo Jones is a very good project. I just don't know, Joe. I think the guy with immense upside with the right team, he could be cash money. Um, Randy Moss reference there. But also he has the potential to be a Devin Thomas and not make it in the league after six years. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, I feel he's he's the real boomer bust in the like, top five, six in this class, along with Will Fuller, is – I feel like Fuller's just, you know, that flash of athleticism, but Thomas to me is that boomer bust. Depending on where he goes, he could be a decent outside receiver. Now, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to rack up a, a super stellar career. I think he's a guy that's going to rack up a decent career, a guy who, you know, after eight, eight nine seasons could maybe have five, six thousand – thousand yards 
you know, in his career. So to me, that automatically puts him in at least the second round for me um, with a guy that doesn't have the potential to be, you know, an incredible receiver. Um, but there's one more receiver I want to talk about before we kind of kind of start to wrap things up here tonight. Um, we did have a little bit of a late start um, tonight, but we also um, we're going to be running mostly through May, guys. So we got a lot of time to go um, on the Finn side. Our sister station has uh, shut down for the season. Um, wish a congratulations to them for their big news, but they have a lot of big things coming their way. Um, but we will be running on for quite a while, so we have plenty of weeks to talk about this entire class and uh, all this good stuff. So when we um, leave tonight, we will be hitting you next week with a very similar show. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, to talk a little bit more about this um, receiver class, there's two more guys that I want to talk about um, tonight. No, scratch that. Three more guys in the receiver class I want to talk about tonight. Um, before we wrap up tonight's show. And the first one I want to talk about is um, Pittsburgh's Tyler Boyd. Um, Boyd was a guy who had some pretty high stock in the beginning of the college season. Some off-the-field issues and injuries led to a pretty sharp drop in stock as well as publicity. I want to know from from my draft guy, my inside man here, Educate me a little bit about how you feel about Tyler Boyd. You know, Tyler Boyd is a guy that I've actually circled quite a few times. He doesn't have that typical 6'3", 220 build. He doesn't have that 5'11", 190 build. He's right in between, and that's what makes him interesting, that he's 6'1", 197. Now, Joe, when you scout guys, usually it's that you check the box of being a big guy, or you're a small guy. And in between guys, it's just kind of like, man, you know, whatever. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people are overlooking him, I think, in this class. I'm not saying that it's getting to the point where he's, like, horrible. I mean, you had mentioned that, obviously, that he's got some stock. And I think you can go looking back at this draft class and say Tyler Boyd, was an effective player, that he got the job done, that he's a Golden Tate type, that Golden Tate hit the stride and he took advantage of it. I think Golden Tate's a pretty fair comparison as well. Um, Just to put that out there, that Boyd, you know, I think he can help himself just a little bit more. Uh, Hard to say where value-wise, I think that he could go anywhere from round two to round five. It just sometimes I, yeah, I'm not saying there's anything bad with him. I've heard a lot of good things about him in the community, but I just haven't heard much about him getting a lot of interviews. I just haven't heard his name a lot in this draft process. I'm not saying that's going to lead to his slip, but also it could lead to him going a lot later than he wants. So, as a very Oh, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say that's a really good point because he does have off-the-field questions. Well, he does have, but, you know, it just hasn't been talked about enough to where it's going to, I think, gonna make him plummet into the world. He's had a, you know, He talked to uh, the 49ers as per day. He talked to the Chargers. Jacksonville might be looking at him in the third round. And also the Panthers like him a lot. They brought him in for a workout, and as well as the Rams. So, 
you know, maybe one of those teams takes him in the second round. I think that's where his value lies. He will be a solid pro, a Golden Tate type that gets the job done. I like that. That's, uh, he he's a guy who's kind of gone quiet since uh, the end of the end of the college season. Um, one guy I want to get your take on too, though, is is shifted quarterback from the university that we were just talking about in terms of spotty spotty history, but another Ohio State receiver in Braxton Miller. Um, Miller trans trans. I'm don't know what word I'm trying to use there. Transformed. There we go. Transformed into a wide receiver from quarterback just because of the pure athlete he is at Ohio State for his fifth and final season there. He played well, had some flashes, um, went to the senior bowl. A lot of guys commented on that he had better than expected route running, you know, possibly was one of the best receivers at the senior bowl. But what is your take? How do you feel about, you know, we've seen a lot of guys who are athletic quarterbacks in college try to switch to wide receiver. Not a ton of guys have made it work. How do you feel about Braxton Miller's ability to try to do that? Well, you know, there's another guy that tried that in the league that is starting to catch a little fire. Um, Braxton Miller, he's a hell of an athlete. I don't think we've seen that quarterback type guy in quite a while. I think that he's going to be a a joker type going forward. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think that they're going to try to move him around. Armani Edwards, um, just so many different guys that have tried that thing. Armani Edwards is a kind of a fair comparison to him. Um, Armani was quite gifted as a quarterback. They moved him to wide receiver with the Panthers. It didn't really work out. It wasn't a fair marriage. So, you know, I think Braxton Miller, you know, the Bears have talked to him, the Chiefs, I believe the Cowboys, Falcons, and Jets have. And the Ravens, I think, brought him in for a private workout. So, it's there. I just think that each team will look at him differently. So it's really hard for me to gauge what teams are wanting out of him. Um, I think certain teams like the Bears want another wide receiver. I think teams like the Chiefs want another wide receiver. I think the Cowboys looking for another wide receiver. The Falcons, I think they want him at a quarterback. Um, the Jets, I think they want him at quarterback. Uh, I believe the Rams will probably work him out as a wide receiver, and the Ravens probably as a quarterback. I just think every team will look at him differently. Uh, you can't overlook what he did at quarterback. Uh, just he, He's a confusing question mark, Joe. I just It's hard for me to grade this guy, and it's hard for me to actually give him a comparison. I think Armani Edwards is the closest guy I think of when I think of Braxton Miller. And 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 I guess that's like honestly kind of perfectly what I was getting to is that you know we just haven't seen a guy who's been phenomenal at it. We really haven't. Edwards was he bounced around a little bit, but then so I think Miller is a little bit better of an athlete. I think he is a little bit bulkier too, but he would have to pack on a little bit to be able to take the licks that a wide receiver takes. Um, but. I like the comparison. It'll be interesting. I think he won't. I think he's a guy that you'll see between like the third, fourth, fifth rounds. I don't think he sneaks into the second round, to be completely honest, um, unless the team's really just floored with his ability to play receiver. I don't know. I just doesn't. It doesn't sell to me entirely. At least 
at that aspect of being a high, high round prospect. Um, but that being said, the last guy that I wanted to talk about is a guy that I want to see how you feel about him because uh, NFL.com's resident draft expert, or one of their resident draft experts, I should say, Mike the Truth Mayock, just slipped this guy in the number five, if I'm not mistaken, on his latest wide receiver position rankings. And that's Oklahoma's Sterling Shepard. So we got Laquan Treadwell, Corey Coleman, Michael Thomas, Jack, Josh Doxon, Will Fuller, you know, Braxton Miller, Tyler Boyd. Where does Sterling Shepard, in your opinion, fall in the rank of this year's class of receivers and why? Well, you know, Sterling Shepard actually is, and this is also scouting one-on-one, uh, amateur scouts never fall in love with a prospect. And that means you put pretty much all your eggs in one basket, that the guy is the real deal, that the guy is everything. You can't love a prospect. You can like a prospect, don't love a prospect. So with that being said, I truly do like Sterling Shepard a lot from Oklahoma. I think he's one of the most well-rounded route runners. Um, He's a lot like Brandon Cooks that came out a few years ago that plays with the Saints now. If you want a comparison, that's who he's just like. Um, very good route runner, savvy hands. You know, he's a playmaker. He gets things done. He's going to get upfield. I even grade him above Will Fuller um, on my board, personally. He's number three on my board. So I think that you're looking at a guy that's explosive, a guy that, you know, is going to make the play. Whoever gets this guy is going to get a guy that's going to blow up the top of the defense, is going to be – he has the ceiling to be Steve Smith Sr. He has the low ability to be Clyde Gates. I know that's a huge difference, but I think he's going to be Brandon Cooks right away. That Originally, he's not going to make the difference that people don't want him to, but if he gets on the right team with a great quarterback, I think that he will be fine. And you're looking at Brandon Cooks 2.0. Brandon Cooks was an exceptional route runner, great hands, got upfield. Sterling Shepard is exactly the same way from Oklahoma. I love that, man. I love that. I like Sterling a lot, too. I, You know, there's a lot of guys in my team that looked at to possibly get a receiver. Unfortunately, with us lacking a second-round pick, it'll likely be entirely too difficult unless we work a trade up to get a guy like Sterling Shepard. But I would love to add him to my team, um, even though our core is a little unnecessarily – wowing but a little full at the moment with with guys who need to prove themselves. Um, but I like that. I like that. With that being said, obviously, like you said, he's above Will Fuller in your opinion, and, and, and it's pretty close to running on that top five, and I have to agree. Um, I like Quan, Corey, um, Doxon, and then honestly, I think I have Shepard as my fourth receiver. Um, I think that the, he is sneakily good, like you said. Don't ever fall in love. But you can definitely like a guy, and I like Sterling Shepard quite a bit. Um, but we are going to go ahead and wrap up for the night, guys. We have um, we do have some time left, but there's some stuff that i got to get to. It's been a long day for you guys here. Um, and not only that, but good news, guys. Like I said earlier, we're going to be running until May. So hopefully, keep your fingers crossed. That means the direct snap will be able to do the draft this year, potentially on draft night. 
Um, and uh, we're just going to keep chugging through the drafts from here on out for the most part. Obviously, we'll give you some news, some notes, um, all that good stuff. But this is draft season. This is among the favorite things that we do here on the Direct Snap. Um, it's been awesome having our draft expert, Dave West, in especially as the main co-host here while Tyler uh, is on a little bit of a leave of absence. Um, update you guys. I will be going through some stuff here soon, shortly. We're about three weeks away from some surgery, but shouldn't mess up too much. I sh- can always sit by a computer and talk some football, so... Uh, there will not be a lot changing for the direct snap, hopefully not only now, but in the long-term future. So we appreciate you guys. We appreciate everything you do for us. Appreciate following us. It's the reason we do this. Um, and we hope that you guys keep coming around. We didn't plug too, too much tonight. We just kind of had fun and enjoyed it. Being a little bit late, we you know sometimes that's tough, but don't ever forget, guys, you can, you can watch and listen to our archived episodes on blogtalkradio.com. Um, Fins Radio, where you'll see on the Fins side and ourselves, Direct Snap. You can look up our archived episodes. You can access us via that way. Uh, internet, phone, iTunes. Uh, we do. We are a podcast that is free to download, by the way, guys. You don't have to pay for our podcast. Um, it's all free, no matter what way you listen to it. Um, so we hope that you join us next week. We'll be live again, um, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to do our Draft Timer 2.0. Focus on some more of the positions, quarterback, running back, cornerback, safety, some of the big names. Talk about some potential trades, especially when some things might even be a little bit clear as we get close to the draft here in a few short weeks. So with that being said, my guys, we are going to send it on off for my boy David West. I am Joe Klein, and we at the Direct Snap wish you a good night. Night, everyone.